right. Well, um, everybody doing okay? All right. Good. Half, this half is doing good. You guys doing okay over here? Um, uh, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna begin with a story, but before I do, uh, I, we want to put the number up on the screen. Actually, it's on the sides of the screen. Uh, we would love for you to text in your questions as we get into this series uh, about the Holy Spirit uh, called "By My Spirit." Uh, our guess is, uh, as a as a team, is that this might bring about uh, a lot of questions uh, for people, and so we're gonna invite you to. Uh, send those questions in. If there's a question that uh, is really pertinent to today's message, um, then I'll do my best to get to it today. But if I don't, at the end, we're going to conclude this series with a uh, with a uh, service uh, that's a question and answer, where we take all of the questions that we've received throughout the series, and we and Pastor Jay and I will answer those questions together. Uh, from the platform as I'm sure that there will be moments where you might have a question and then uh, the following week we happen to be speaking about it and that question might get answered. Uh, But nonetheless, we will be presenting a lot of the questions uh, for the question and answer at the very end of the series. Uh, This series is going to lead us into um, June, uh, past uh, actually June 5th this year is Pentecost Sunday, so uh, that works out that we're in the Holy Spirit series. I'm going to be speaking on that and then uh, we're going to conclude it with the question and answer. Well, I want to tell you a story because... Uh, this this series is is largely based on the help of uh, a pastor by the name of Chris Hodges, a pastor by the name of uh, um, of I'm drawing a blank um, Morris Robert Morris uh, uh, from Gateway Church, and they've just done a, an enormous work on uh, presenting the work of the Holy Spirit in such a way that uh, that we can all kind of grab hold of it. Uh, for me, this series is super important because. Um, when I was in high school, there, I, I found myself uh, kind of cynical about things. And, uh, and so uh, if you find yourself cynical in the things of the Holy Spirit, uh, then this series is for you. Uh, I want to tell you a story uh, about this old, older woman who was a little old-fashioned. Um, she always was kind of delicate and certainly formal in her communication. Um, this was quite a while ago, um, but her and her husband were planning a, a week's vacation in Florida. And so she wrote to a particular campground because they were asking for a reservation. So this gives you a little bit of context as to how old this is, right? She didn't send an email, she sent a letter. And she was asking for a reservation at a campground. I don't fully understand why people camp. That doesn't make sense to me. Um, but, uh, but apparently people do, and they like it. Um, she, do, she did, and she wanted to, to go camping. But she also wanted to make sure uh, that the campground was fully equipped. Now, she didn't quite know how to ask, though, about the toilet facilities. She just couldn't bring herself to write the word toilet in her letter. She's so formal, she couldn't write the word toilet. And so after a lot of deliberation, she finally came up with the old-fashioned term, bathroom commode. But when she wrote that down, she still thought she was being just a little too forward. And so she started all over again, rewrote the entire letter, referring to the bathroom commode merely as the B.C., 
Does the campground have its own BC, is what she actually wrote. Well, the campground owner wasn't old-fashioned at all, and when he got the letter, he couldn't figure out what the woman was talking about. That BC business kind of really stumped him, and after worrying about it for a while, he showed the letter to several campers, but they couldn't imagine what that lady meant either. And so the campground owner, finally coming to the conclusion that the lady must be asking about the local Baptist church, he sat down and he wrote the following reply. Dear Madame, I regret very much the delay in answering your letter, but I now take pleasure in informing you that a BC is located nine miles north of the campground and is capable of seating 250 people at one time. I admit it's quite a distance away if you're in the habit of going regularly, but no doubt you will be pleased to know that a great number of people take their lunches along and make a day of it. They usually arrive early and stay late. It's such a beautiful facility and the acoustics are marvelous. The last time my wife and I went was six years ago and it was so crowded we had to stand up the whole time we were there. It might interest you to know that right now a supper is planned to raise money to buy more seats because the ones that we have have holes in them. I would like to say it pains me very much not to be able to go more regularly, but it surely is no lack of desire on my part. As we grow old, it seems to be more of an effort, particularly in cold weather. If you decide to come down to our campground, perhaps I could go with you for the first time you go, sit with you, and introduce you to all the other folks. Remember, this is a friendly community. Sincerely, Campground Owner. And you say, well, what does that have to do with anything related to the Holy Spirit? Just say this. Without context and without understanding, we find ourselves missing out on the truth. I want us to look at John chapter 14. As we start this series on the Holy Spirit, we're going to read several passages kind of as an introduction. Today's just an introduction to the Holy Spirit, uh, starting in John chapter 14, and then we're going to flip over to 15, and then we're going to read in 16, but we're going to start in 14, verses 16 through 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Some of your translations might say helper. Uh, If you read the uh, King James, the original King James, it will say comforter. To help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And then in verse 25 of the same chapter, it says, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate or the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. So how many things will the Holy Spirit teach us? All things. And will remind you of everything I have said to you. In chapter 15, in verse 26, it says, When the advocate, when the helper, when the Holy Spirit comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And then in verse 6 of chapter 16, 6 through 13, it says this. But very truly I tell you, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your good that I go away. Unless I go away, the advocate, the helper, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. 
And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about three things, about sin, about righteousness, and about judgment. And this is why, about sin, because people don't believe, do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Now, as I said, the term helper there, or advocate, is translated in the old King James language as comforter. The Greek word for this is parakletos. The one who helps us every day as helper for us. He is the one that helps me be a better pastor, a better father, a better husband. That he is the one who guides and directs me in my life. He gives us biblical understanding. It's why when we read the scriptures, we can read them from front to back over and over and over again and always get something new. The words don't change, the, the illumination and the Holy Spirit illuminating to us new things of God's word to us. When Kelly and I uh, first got married, uh, you know, when, you, when you're young, you're in college, you get married, uh, you, uh, you don't have a lot of nice things. And, and you, always, you end up getting secondhand things. My son just moved out, and he got all of the junk that we had stored up in our house so that we could get some nice things. Uh, and he, he got the bad things. And, uh, but that's, how, that's just how it is. Like, when you're young, it's, you just use what you got. And I remember uh, it was right at kind of, we'd been married maybe six months to a year, and we were getting ready to uh, move up to Spokane, Washington. And and my wife really wanted to get something nice for our house, and, and she said, I, w- I want to get a comforter. It's going to be cold up there. Let's get a comforter for our bed. And, and I said, yeah, that makes total sense. Uh, I had no idea that you had to get a loan to purchase a comforter, which we did not do. But comforters are expensive. Like She wanted a down comforter, not just some cheap blanket. She wanted a down comforter. And apparently with down comforters, there's levels of these. Uh, like based upon how many feathers and you know how much down is it? Is it real down? Is it synthetic? Like all these things, and it was just this big expense that that we had. And and so I was like, well, you know, at the end of the day, it's good that we have one because it's going to get cold. I thought in my head, I'm like, it'd be good to snuggle under the little comforter. And and so I'm excited to go get in bed. And and when I get in there, the comforter's folded back at the foot of the bed. And I didn't really understand why I would spend a bunch of money on something that would be folded back. And so I said, well, are we going to use the comforter? She's like, no, that comforter is not for use. The comforter's for looks. And I understood this because I grew up in a house uh, where, and my mom's in the room, so I'm just going to be very respectful and gracious about this, but... I grew up in a house where I used the, the guest bathroom, and there was towels that were hanging there on the towel rack, and, and I, sometimes I would wash my face, and I would just kind of, because it was close, I would just go and grab it, and I would dry my face off, you know, because it's a towel. 
Well, my mom would come in and she would yell at me. Uh, I, I mean, she wouldn't yell. She would gently scold me that those are not for use. Those are for looks. Those are other people can use them, but you can't use them. And so just to kind of get my mom back, and she's never heard me say this before, I would wash my hands and I would go to the back side of the towel and I would just dry it off or I'll wash my face and then I just kind of straighten it out so she couldn't tell that I used it. It's, you've heard variations of this story. If you've been around our church for very long, I've used variations of this kind of story where where there is this item that you have, this comforter that you have that's just for looks and not for use. And I wonder how many of us as believers have a comforter that is not, ju- uh, that is not for use but just for looks. See, w- we have grown up in a kind of this culture where we have this comforter. We're aware of it, but we aren't experiencing it. So I want us to kind of look at a few different things of the Holy Spirit. And the first thing is this, is that the Holy Spirit is my helper. Jesus said, I'm telling you the truth. It is to your advantage that I'm going away. It is better for us that Jesus isn't here. Think about that for a second. That if Jesus were here and attending Lifehouse, and I mean, obviously, that's where he would go to church. Jesus was attending Lifehouse, and clearly, and, and was teaching and preaching and, and was here in the flesh. Like, we would be so drawn to him. As Jesus walked this earth, there were crowds of people that were drawn to his teaching, and, and they would be drawn to him. And what Jesus is saying when he says it's to your advantage that I go away is essentially that what we have now in the Holy Spirit, what we have is better than Jesus in the flesh. Wrap your minds around that. Like like we, we say, well, I want to be like Jesus, but what Jesus is saying is the Holy Spirit is better than having Jesus in the flesh. John 16, 8 through 9, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong. Just kind of refreshing us over this verse about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. The first thing is that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and our need to believe in Christ. The Holy Spirit is the agent of the Trinity that brings us to Christ. The Holy Spirit brings conviction, brings us to this point of salvation. 1 Corinthians 12.3 says, No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. I think it's easy for us to kind of skip over he convicts us of sin and goes to he convicts us of righteousness because we like the righteous part. We like the fact that the Holy Spirit deems us righteous, not because of who we are, but because of the work of the cross of Jesus. That what Jesus did on the cross, our salvation, that he reminds us that we are righteous. Not because of us, but because of the grace of God. We like that. I like it. I mean, I know I'm not deserving of it, but I like it. 
And so we're easy to kind of skip over the conviction of sin, but the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, and we probably need to be as quick to accept the conviction of righteousness or accept the conviction of sin as we are to con- uh, accept the conviction of righteousness. John 12, 31 says, Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. This is a really, really important part of, under- of understanding the Holy Spirit. Because I believe, just as a pastor and as a teacher, I believe that there are many people who are saved by grace, who are living this life not understanding that the prince of darkness has been defeated. See, the Holy Spirit comes and he convicts us. We are sinful people, but we... He also reminds us that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And he also wants, a, wants to convict or convince us that Satan has been judged. And he wants to convince you and I that we have authority over the enemy. And we don't have to put up with the enemy's nonsense. He corrects me when I'm wrong. He convinces me that I'm forgiven and I'm righteous by the grace of God. And he gives me confidence that Satan has been defeated and I can live my life in freedom. The Holy Spirit helps us all the time. We can talk to the Holy Spirit all the time. In fact, just uh, this last Friday, I was, uh, I got to be in West Texas, and when I say it like that, I mean, I, I think it was a privilege to be in West Texas. And uh, I was going to visit some pastors and encourage them, and I was going to have dinner on Friday night with them. And I thought, I don't have anything in common. I mean, other than Jesus, like, I don't know that I've got a whole lot to offer these guys. These guys are pastoring in town 1,600 people or less. Right, the, the town, in some cases, the towns are, are dying off, and yet these faithful men and women are loving their community, bringing Jesus to them. And, and I just thought, what, what am I going to say to them? You know, one, one church is in a little town called Weiner, Texas. It's like 600 people in the town. And they got like 30 people or 40 people going to their church. I'm like, that's a huge percentage of your town that attends church. That's amazing. And we look at that, and, we, and I think in our common culture, we look at that and we're like, well, it's 30 or 40 people at a church. That's not very big. It's pretty big when you're in a town of 600. And so I'm sitting in my rental car, and, and I'm getting ready to go into the Blue Jean Cafe. That's what it's called. Which... Surprisingly, is a very good restaurant in Stamford, Texas, if you ever find yourself in the middle of nowhere. And I walk in, and, and as I'm, I'm sitting in my rental car, I just say, Holy Spirit, give me words of encouragement, give me words of wisdom and knowledge. That's it. I just said, give me, give me words, because I got nothing. And I walked in there, had an amazing dinner with these men, and probably walked away more fulfilled and learned a lot more about uh, who Jesus is uh, than I did going in. 
But in the moment, the Lord did give me, through the Holy Spirit, the, Lord, the Holy Spirit gave me words of wisdom, gave me words of encouragement, and I believe that they left encouraged by God. We can talk to the Holy Spirit. He hears us. He knows us. He wants relationship with us. It's easy for us to revert to the Father and to the Son. It's easier to, in our minds, uh, say we're speaking to the Father, we're speaking to the Son. Uh, It's a little harder to say and reconcile in our heads that we're speaking to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us all the time. He gives us instruction and words of caution and wisdom. The Holy Spirit can help your marriage. Let me just give you an example of this. Maybe you're in a conversation with your spouse. That conversation is, uh, is heading down a road, a path of destruction. And now all of a sudden voices are, you're about to enter into uh, saying something that you shouldn't say. And the Holy Spirit says, you, you might just want to keep your mouth shut on that one. Right? Like, and you have a choice then. You can keep your mouth shut or are you going to say it? I think you all know what happens when you don't heed the wisdom of the Holy Spirit in your life. The still small voice that says, shut your mouth. I don't know if he says it that way, but that's the voice I hear. Shut up. And then gives us words of wisdom. Like, why don't you take your wife out to dinner instead of entering into that argument? It's our everyday life he is our helper. Every part of it. I think we, we think that the Holy Spirit, the help that the Holy Spirit gives is only in these religious moments, in these formal environments in the church or when we're laying on of hands and praying for people, but the Holy Spirit is present every single moment of your life and is there to help you. The second, the second thing is the Holy Spirit is my friend. And my friend is not weird. I don't have weird friends. I try to avoid weird friends. No, that's not true. I, I probably have some weird friends. But the Holy Spirit is not one of them. I'm, I'm a little bothered by the reputation that the enemy has been able to Uh, communicate and has given the Holy Spirit as he's caused believers to be scared by the agent that actually helps us. Isn't that amazing that the one that empowers us to actually live the Christian life, the one that gives us the power to win the world for Jesus... Satan has made rumors of him that if you yield fully to him, you'll run around the sanctuary and shout gibberish uncontrollably. That's not what happens. He's not going to do that. He's not weird. And I don't mean this the wrong way, and if you take offense to this, I'm sorry, but the Holy Spirit isn't weird. People are weird. 
People are insecure. People are immature. And in this weird way, they try to draw attention to themselves, and then they blame it on the Holy Spirit. He's not weird. The Holy Spirit is the one who ministers through me. And I'm tired of people just blaming their immaturity or their insecurities on the Holy Spirit. Because here's what I know is that if you have any fear of the Holy Spirit, that's not from God. Why would the Father instill in us a fear of the third part of the Trinity, of him? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't reconcile. That is is impossible. No, if we have fear of yielding ourselves fully to the Holy Spirit, that fear only comes from the enemy. The Holy Spirit is not harsh or rude. He's not out to embarrass you. I've seen circumstances and situations where someone says they're speaking on behalf of the Holy Spirit and are kind of condemning and embarrassing individual people. You're like, well, I'm just speaking on behalf of the Holy Spirit. No, you're just a jerk. Just don't be mean. Stop. Because the character of the Holy Spirit is not that. We know this. I think that we, over the years, or maybe you find yourself uh, in a place that I have found myself where you... You have believed the lies that the enemy has perpetuated in your life to keep the Holy Spirit at arm's length. And when we're done here this morning, we're just going to take a moment and we're going to repent of that. And, and if you're here and you would say, well, I don't have an issue, that's fine. That's okay. You can pray and you can say, as we sang today, I want more. I want more of you. See, I'm I'm bothered because the church has rejected the power that we actually need. Satan is so scared that when the baptism of the Holy Spirit returned to the church in the early 1900s, he said, I'm going to have to mess this theology up a little bit. I've got to get them to focus on the one gift that is confusing and and hard to understand and all of that. If I could just get them kind of concerned about that, then I could mess up their theology in such a way that they don't have the power to actually do what God's called us to do. Because there's all kinds of denominations and theological bents that focus on this one gift, right? I believe in all of the gifts. But Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There are people who believe that there is one gift that is the evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit on your life. And I do too. 
And the evidence is right there in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that when you receive power, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, what will you be? Witnesses. You want evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? Are you a witness in the world? Do people see you and look at you and, and, and do they see the power of God in your life? Do they see Jesus in your life? It doesn't say that you, you will do some witnessing. No, it says you will be a witness. I believe in all of the gifts. But when you receive power, you go out and you bring people to Jesus. The gifts of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. Think about it this way. If I gave you a pair of shoes, I wouldn't just give you the tongues of those shoes. I'd give you the whole shoes and the tongues would be included. He says, the power to be my witnesses, not power to do witnessing. It says that fear came on everyone around them because they saw the power of God. My question for you this morning is, do people see the power of God in your life? Finally, the Holy Spirit is my God. He is God. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He is a him. We need, we, we hear people say we, we need its power. The Bible never refers to the Holy Spirit as its. We need his power. He is only referred to as he, him, and his. He is the third person of the Godhead Trinity. He is equal in the Godhead Trinity. John 14, 16, let me just lay out for you the Trinitarian picture that we see throughout Scripture. John 14, 16, and I, I being Jesus, will ask the Father, Father God, and he, the Father, will give you another advocate, the Holy Spirit, to help you and be with you forever. John 14, 26, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, in Jesus' name, will teach you all things, will remind you of everything that I, Jesus, have said to you. John 15, 26, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Luke chapter 3, verse 22, and the Holy Spirit descended on him, him being Jesus, in bodily form like a dove, the Holy Spirit, and a voice came from heaven from the father you are my son whom I love with you I am well pleased Matthew 28 19 therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them what not just in the name of the father but in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit there are some who believe that we should only baptize in the name of Jesus that's not our people that's not us. We don't believe that. We believe we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we are Trinitarian people. We believe in the Trinity. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 
I had someone, as I said, that I looked up to in high school who had a different theological bent than what I was raised with. I grew up in a four-square church. My dad was a four-square pastor, still is a four-square pastor. Uh, he, he's teaching and ministering to the babies in the nursery, <laughs> uh, praying over them. And, uh, and so I grew up with this theology. I understood it. I knew it. But somewhere along the lines, I got cynical. I became someone who would look at, in some cases, uh, man-made uh, expressions and then blaming it on the Holy Spirit. And then there were other instances that were probably genuine, that, that were real things. But because I became so cynical, I lumped everything together. And I found myself getting distracted and wandering in my, in my relationship away from the Holy Spirit and, and being out here on this tangent. And, uh, and I was a part of a Christian school that had a, a, a pastor, a high school pastor that uh, was somewhat of a mentor to me, but his theological bent was not... Anything to do with the power of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, anything to do with the expression of the Holy Spirit in our everyday life. And I began to listen, and something of the cynicism in me liked it. And so I found myself going off then to a Bible college where their theology was that of what I was raised in. And as I was a part of this Bible college, I came in with the intent, and this just shows you how arrogant and prideful I was when I was graduating high school, going into college, uh, I was convinced I was going to change the theology of our denomination. <laughs> a high 19-year-old kid, right? I probably knew better because I had a mentor. And I went in I remember specifically in my uh, uh, spiritual gifts and ministry class, I came in, I was going to write a paper, and I was going to let them know the truth. Problem was, is I couldn't. I, I think there were moments where my mom was very concerned about me. Um, she, I sent her the paper that I got that I did not get a good grade on, some shocker, uh, you know, when it was against all of the theological things that we had been taught. And I found myself beginning to back away from, from my mentor's theology into an understanding of the truth of God's word. Acts chapter 5, verse 3 through 4 says this. It's Peter talking, and, and he says this, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but you've lied to God. You have not lied to men, but you have lied to God. When we get off on these tangents, when we begin to keep the Holy Spirit at arm's length, what we're really saying is we're keeping God at arm's length. 
As a pastor, one of the things that, that bothers me now is that when people get off on tangents, when they, when they kind of are like, yeah, I'll take all of this part of God, but not this. The problem is you're rejecting or at least at a minimum ignoring a part of the Trinity that is the very thing that you need to live this life. I was called by the Holy Spirit. When I was a sophomore in high school, we were talking about camps and the importance of camp. I just want to tell you how important it is for us to get our young people to camp. There's something in that experience of having, uh, of disconnecting from all of the distractions of this world, the tangents of this world, and, and spending a week focused on our relationship with God. There's something powerful that takes place. I was called into the ministry as a sophomore in high school. Uh, I was going to be a lawyer. I was really going down that path. My grandfather was interested in sending me to law school, uh, primarily, I think, to defend him against his local city government. Um, he had his motivations. I had my motivations, and they seemed to align. Uh, when I was called into the ministry, interestingly, he did not think that my gifts in, from Bible college would help him with the city. So... Uh, therefore did not pay for my Bible college, but there was a, a calling that took place, a still small voice. And there will, pe- there will be people who kind of question that a little bit. They're like, I don't know if God actually calls us into vocational ministry or not. Listen, we are all called as ministers. I get that. I understand that. But there was something in the vocation of what God was setting me apart to. And not in some hierarchical, like, you should, you know, treat me differently. Uh, I put my pants on one leg at a time, too. Mine just happened to be pastor pants. No, I'm just kidding. Like, no, like, like I just like everyone else. But there is a calling and an assignment. And my wife's like, oh, my God. There's a, an assignment and, and a, a calling that we see in Scripture, and, and I, I was called by the Holy Spirit. And, and what happens is if we're not careful, we will get on a tangent and we will go down this path and we will bring separation from us and our relationship with the Holy Spirit, and we will wonder why we are off track. I want to read to you something. It's kind of a lot, all of these scriptures that I've shared with you this morning, kind of in, uh, in kind of our own language right now, kind of a, a paraphrase of the language. And it's this, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us and through us on earth. The Holy Spirit calls every minister to the ministry. He qualifies ministers for the work of the ministry. It is the Holy Spirit who calls them and causes them to be overseers of the flock. The Holy Spirit hears, speaks, touches, and guides us into all truth. He glorifies Christ. He shows us Christ and brings all of Christ's words to our remembrance. It was better for us that Jesus left so the Holy Spirit can come. He shows us things to come. He knows the deep things of God and he searches all things. Lying to him is lying to God. Where he is, there is freedom and liberty. 
The writers of the Bible spoke as they were moved by him. We are warned in the Bible not to grieve him or quench him. We are convicted by him, born again by him, led by him, filled by him, and healed by him. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all one but separate persons, meaning different personalities. And the Holy Spirit is the most sensitive of the three. He cares about us. He loves us. I'll end with this story, this illustration that, that I heard, and there's such a good picture of this that if you're not familiar, there's what's called uh, in, in boating or in nautical terms, it's called a maritime pilot. What happens is, is these large ships, uh, it, it's the ship, the, these large ships have a ship captain, of course, and the responsibility of the ship captain is to navigate the ship in water. I know this is elementary information that I'm telling you. But what happens is, is when these ships come into port or they have to come in from the ocean into a river, tributary, or whatever, it gets risky, and there's this situation that demands even a greater skill than what the captain has. And so they call for a maritime pilot. And this maritime pilot comes out on a small ship uh, and they board the, the larger boat and they stand behind the captain. They don't take the wheel. They don't make the decisions. They stand behind the captain and they make suggestions. They give instructions and warnings. They tell the captain, you're going to want to go, I don't know, I don't know nautical terms, but three clicks this way or, uh, I don't know, three, three, three degrees this way. Go to the right. You know, they probably use stern and bow and all that stuff, and I don't know it. But, but they give these suggestions, and, and, and the maritime pilot tells them, you need to go this direction, you need to go that direction. Their whole goal being like, we don't want you to run aground in, in here. But it's actually not the maritime pilot's fault if the captain runs the ship aground. Because the captain can still choose whether he's going to heed the suggestion of the maritime pilot or not. He's still turning the wheel. And as I thought about that illustration, I was thinking about the picture of the Holy Spirit in our life. We are making decisions in our life. But those decisions become a lot easier to navigate when we have the Holy Spirit and we're listening to the suggestions of the Holy Spirit and he's keeping us from running aground. And if we have found ourselves run aground, if we found ourselves shipwrecked, it's not the Holy Spirit's fault. It's our fault for not listening to the Holy Spirit. He is there. He is our helper. And if we are not listening to our helper every single day of our life, we will find ourselves hurting and broken and without the authority and the power to overcome the enemy in our life. My hope, friends, is as a church, we would be a people who are so in relationship and in tune with the Holy Spirit in our lives that every interaction we have, every part of our life circle exudes a witness and the power of God. That we would be witnesses 
in this world. Not that we would go do witnessing, but that we would be witnesses. So I want us to just take a moment, and I want us to kind of begin to speak to the Holy Spirit, repent, and begin to say, I'm sorry for keeping you at a distance. I'm sorry for, for, for not yielding myself fully. I'm sorry for listening to the lies that I've been told and the lies of the enemy to keep me from experiencing the power and your presence in my life. I want us to just take a moment, just as Aaron is playing, that we would just take a moment. And listen, if you're good with the Holy Spirit, great. We're going to close our time out singing that song that, that the more I uh, know you, the more I want you. Man, just praise him for that. That the more we know of the Holy Spirit, the more we experience of the gifts that he wants to pour out, the more we want of him. Just take a moment, just right where you're at, and just begin to pray. Holy Spirit, forgive me for not desiring more of you at times. Holy Spirit, forgive me for in, mo in seasons and moments of my life keeping you at arm's length. And I ask that, that in my life, people would see the witness of your glory the power of your presence God that when we go into our life circles as we go into our environments that you've built and created for us that we would be people who, of power of expectation. people that we encounter are hurting and broken and are hopeless, whether we would be a people who just exude hope and healing and power that comes from proximity and relationship with you. Let us draw close to you. Let us desire more of you. God, for those of us who have believed those lies, forgive us. Forgive us. And let us bring context and clarity to the truth of the fullness of the gospel that you have for us. In Jesus' name.